I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where we have a global means, you know, a Mm -hmm. uh, high adoption global means of communicating those consent choices. But I think that's the dream. Uh, You know, I I hope when I'm 80 years old, I look back at this and say, like, I was so naive. Of course, we were going to figure it out. (laughs) Um, But I think it'll be regional and it'll be something that continuously evolves. Welcome to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. I'm Lucy Shelley, reporter at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. And today I am joined by Lana Warner, Senior Director of Partnerships and Client Strategy at Lodomy, where she has been for almost five years in client strategy, cementing herself as an expert in the field. She calls herself a data evangelist experienced in advertising from A to Z. Although you are based in the US, you probably say A to Z, am I right? We do, A to Z, but I like Z. It has a, you know, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, but we were just saying how the, the pronunciation of low, low to me, it can be pronounced in many different ways around the world. Absolutely. If you go to in, our India teams versus our Singapore teams or our UK teams, it's pronounced differently everywhere. So just go with the flow is my, don't take ad tech too seriously. <laughs> go to the flow. Don't take it seriously and just nod whatever, to whatever your client says. Exactly. Right? <laughs> as long as we're solving the problem, that's all that matters to me. Well, thank you for being this week's attention, Sikalana. Could you just briefly introduce yourself and perhaps take us through a day in your life at Lotome and everything you do? Yeah, as you were saying, you know, I, I started my career at Lotome in the client success organization. And then I moved into our partner org where I focused on um, universal ID adoption, right? The announcement of the deprecation of third-party cookies had officially happened. And we had, you know, some of our our strategic team move into figuring out what that looks like for future-proofing our clients. And then most recently, I've kind of moved into more of a BD role within our partnership organization. And I'm focusing specifically on CDP partnerships or customer data platform partnerships. Um, my day-to-day looks like getting up, answering emails, getting on calls, and really, I, I try to boil this down the other day for um, one of my good friends. And I said, you know, really what I do all day is just like problem solve. I get on phone calls, we discuss what's going on, we discuss what the issue is, I present some ideas, I put some suggestions out there, we reiterate, we go, we implement those, we test, we see what works, we see what didn't, and then we do it all again. And I feel like that's my day-to-day, which is great because no no one day is the same day as yesterday. There's also always something new and fun and exciting to mm. do. Again, so. Well, that's important to keep it exciting. Because exactly. yeah, because we, we, we sat around the other day kind of wondering, performance marketing means a lot of things it means so many different things and everyone's days are probably completely different there probably aren't too many similarities at all absolutely sometimes I talk to my engineering team and I'm like we live two separate very lives (laughs) they will just be in a hole working on a product release for you know two or three sprints two months later they poke their head out of the hole like you know (laughs) 
out in the Sahara and it's just like, oh, okay, welcome back to what's going on. This brand new thing just happened in the industry. Let's mm-hmm. catch you all up. So I feel like depending on where you work, even our marketing org versus our technology org versus our privacy org, we're all just going 100 miles a minute. Um, and I think that's the, I, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I think a lot of what technology and performance marketing, a lot of what we do all day is just like building synergies between teams, mm. cross educating and making sure we're all on the same page and we're all working towards the same goals. Mm, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, so many different roles within the industry, but, you know, it's very tech orientated, but the human to human interactions is what is so important. Like at the end of the day, we're all human. Yeah, I sit here all day and I talk about header bidders and how you deploy and, you know, what's returned in the JSON object. Like we can talk <laughs> all day, right? So it can be incredibly technical. It can be, you know, where I am, where I'm kind of in the middle. It's like not technical enough to be dangerous, but technical enough. <laughs> but at the end of the day, no matter who you're talking to, if it's a CIO, CDO, CMO, CEO, or just the, you know, day-to-day programmatic guy who's like, I just work nine to five. Please just make my job easier, right? If you have a solution that can help make that person's life just a little bit easier, you know you've succeeded, right? I think that's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote on success. But just that's what I aim for every day. I go into every meeting thinking, how can I make your life just a little bit easier so that you can spend more time doing the things you love, whether that's researching stuff within the industry, because you know, you're a workaholic and you just want more time to do the projects that are actually exciting to you. Or it's, I just want to log off and go home and be with my family and be with my friends or be with my dog. So how are we solving to give agency and time back to the people we work with? That's when you know you've got something, you know, golden. As our attention seeker today, we would like to get to know you a little bit better. So can you tell me something that's been getting your attention recently? Yeah, absolutely. So election day was just yesterday um, here. And and I live in Austin right now. I'm typically out of our New York office. But, you know, the pandemic happened and I'm one of the many who said, I'm going back to where I can have more than 300 square feet um, of real estate. Uh, So I'm back in Austin, Texas, where my family lives. Uh, And, you know, it it was a rough day yesterday um, in Texas. And I think something that just keeps getting my attention is the privacy conversation. I think, especially in the industry I work in and for the company I work and I'm so, I'm so, you know, relieved that I work for a company that's so privacy forward and so focused on consumer privacy and what that looks like in the future. And I'm terrified of what a non-free and open web looks like, right? Mm. Um, I, I think there is a middle ground, right? There's this conversation on, well, the internet should be 100% subscriptioned and walled garden and, and you should have to pay for access to all of your content. Therefore, we no longer need an ad-supported web. And I think that then becomes a tax on the poor, right? As Elon Musk goes and takes uh, <laughs> over Twitter and Meta has a really rough time and is laying users off, they're moving towards this. Maybe it's a pay-to-play model, which terrifies me because I, you know, this is where I'm going to get on my soapbox a bit information should be free, right? I I think everyone who has a desire to access information should have the opportunity to have it. And this idea that the entire internet would be, you know, paywalled and subscription-based, that terrifies me. And it terrifies me that if we move in that direction, the things of journalistic quality, the things that are fact-checked, then become things that are gated and behind walled gardens, 
and the information that's free might not be so accurate and not, <laughs> might not be so fact-checked. And, you know, here in the U.S. and the U.K., we know what that what what happens when that information becomes uh, peripherated. So I and then the opposite side of the equation is 100 percent ad supported web, you know, with with little to no universal means of consumers communicating their privacy and consent choices. I don't think that's the future either. I think it's a middle ground, right? But that requires, you know, digital literacy, that requires education, that requires the industry and governments coming to a universal consensus on how we communicate what consent choices look like from consumers so that it's standardized, so that it's not confusing and complex. And I don't know if we're in a position yet where we can get there, but I believe in that middle ground. And I think that's that's a little bit of personally what I'm fighting for. And, and I know in everything that we build at Lotomy with this privacy first approach, I think that's what we're trying to build towards too. This middle ground where we respect consumers' consent choices in everything that we do. We make that central and then figure out a way to get the industry on the same page, right? Have mm-hmm. the industry accept that universal means, that universal, you know, um, uh, schema that we all come up with for being able to do things in a privacy forward way that keeps the web open and free. I mean, yeah, it's in, it's interesting, isn't it? Especially, you know, in the wake of Musk now having some pretty interesting plans for Twitter, being yeah. in control of a platform where people get a lot of, you know, a lot of their content, mm-hmm. all social platforms are producing content for people and that's where they get their news mm-hmm. is an incredible amount of responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as an expert in this kind of field, what, what do you think? What is the talk about what privacy in the future is going to look like? Do people know have any kind of idea? Or is it, like you said, you've given a few examples now, but is it kind of just a, we have to wait and see? Or Right. I'm so, I, I totally appreciate the wait and see kind of prospect because that at the end of the day, reality is reality. Some of this will be wait and see to see what courts come down with, wait and see to, you know, see how laws are challenged. Um, but I think, you know, we're we're proud members of IEB Tech Lab, and I think TCF and TCF 2.0 gave us a great framework in Europe for GDPR mm-hmm. as a means of the industry universally agreeing to how consent can be received and giving consumers a standard way to understand what their consent choices are. I'm not saying it's perfect. I we work with a lot of brands who said like this is this is not it, right? There are enhancements that need to be made. We don't know if this, you know, fulfills the true spirit of the law yet, but I think it's a foundation, it's a framework for giving everyone in the industry a universal means for understanding consumer consent choices. I think the US privacy string in the U.S. has that idea. You know, the Globe are doing great jobs in figuring out what that looks like for their regions. I personally think that might be the future where every region kind of has their own mechanisms, Mm -hmm. their own standards, especially the way that laws, you know, if you look at PIPEDA in Canada versus GDPR versus CCPA versus what's happening in Brazil and LATAM, they're all just slightly different on how they're defining and what they're protecting and what they're not. So I think we that might be the future where every region has their own universal framework that they're working to, to better, right? Um, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where we have a global means, you know, a Mm -hmm. a high adoption global means of communicating those consent choices. But I think that's the dream. You know, I I hope when I'm 80 years old, I look back at this and say, like, I was so naive. Of course, we were going to figure it out. (laughs) Um, But I think it'll be regional and 
it'll be something that continuously evolves. I think when we're in our 80s, I think we're going to be looking back to a lot of things and they're going to have a comment over, especially over the tech industry. I, th- I think that might be not the priority for me at that point. I think there's going to be far too much change by then. But who knows? Living in our floating houses above floodplains, yeah. you know, in my, in my floating car, which I was promised. I was promised a floating car in 2020 and it never happened. <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes these these movies that predict the future do tend to disappoint, but right? some things. Well, it's also your opportunity on this podcast to actually prove yourself as an attention seeker. So tell me, can you recall a time where you have done something completely ridiculous for attention? Yeah, absolutely. My poor family, I love them so, so much. Um, when I was little, I thought I wanted to be an astronaut and actress. So I, you know, would be a multi-hyphenate astronaut. Mix. Yep. And I wrote, directed, and starred in a one-woman play underneath a bunk bed. We had like these bunk beds set up back in the day. Um, and, you know, we had taken one of the beds out of the bottom. So it was just, you know, a stage beneath <laughs> that stage. All the world is a stage. So I, you know, put my comforter across and had my brother pull it apart and had my sister push the fan. So that was dramatic. And I had my mom sew me a costume. So really only my father was in the audience at this point. Everyone else I had put to work. And I essentially put them through like an hour long one woman play. An hour. Oh, yeah. An hour. <sighs> was seven so imagine writing an hour's worth of content at seven I think it's more impressive that your family sat through it for an hour I don't believe they did did they actually they they did indeed it was my own like you know space opera (laughs) that I had put on very a la you know dune it was a lot of words and a lot of characters that I don't really explain or introduce so I think my father was just confused the entire time but they were so supportive um, and they gave me all the attention I could possibly want, but it was definitely attention I was seeking. Were they the supportive kind of family that at the end were like, oh, Lana, that was amazing, or were they so grateful it was <laughs> it was over by no, the end? Absolutely. Up until the point where I went off to college to NYU, my dad was like, she's going to be an actress and an astronaut. I was like, <laughs> not going to happen quite yet anymore. Um, well, they, who knows? By the time we're 80, that's going to be a quick train, isn't it? <laughs> so, who knows? so, you know, the way we keep putting reality TV show stars in, you know, power, we might have actresses that are astronauts. That feels more acceptable to me. I'm down that path. I, I agree. I think I think your dreams can be can can be made reality at some point soon right. still. <laughs> Moving on to the the main chunk of this podcast where we discuss your ratings of the industry, something that you think is overrated and something that you think is underrated in the industry. So why don't we start with what you think gets too much attention, and that is what is overrated. Yeah, so overrated for sure, pet peeve of mine, the death of narratives. Every quarter we get a death of narrative, right? The death of the DMP, the death of video, the death of brand safety, the death of cookies, right? And I think to an extent they create this apocalyptic narrative that's just missing the nuance, right? In particular, I think of all the work we did with the deprecation of the third party cookie and we'd go into all of these meetings with CMOs and CEOs and CIOs of brands and large holding agencies. And they essentially just cross equated. They're like, well, third party data is completely dead. It's gone. 
when the third party cookie gets deprecated, we're not going to be able to do anything unless we have email. We have to go out and get email from every single one of our customers. And then we have to, as an organization, be okay with sharing that email, that you know, personal information across all of our marketing partners. And I think a lot of companies, especially healthcare and finance, are like, I don't know if we'll ever be okay sharing that incredibly valuable customer information that we have. And that death of narrative completely just disregarded any nuance around, well, it's the death of third-party cookies. And that's not one in the same as third-party data. And there are still ways with universal identifiers that are built consent forward that do require that you know audible trail that users are actively opting into because they do want things like personalization. They do want one-to-one marketing, right? That don't require you to have to demand email from every single customer touch point. You know, the first time they ever touch your brand, you're already asking them to give up a little bit of themselves and then having to go share that with all of your ecosystem partners. I think it it reduced that conversation. So, so much of our early days was just re-educating that like this narrative that the industry was perpetuating was just holistically wrong. And this is what is actually going on. And mm. this is how we can move forward in a way where you don't have to do a 180 overnight on your entire marketing strategy. So again, those death of narratives, they just, anytime you see an article that's the death of something, read it and then go do your own research. I'm sure us journalists might be at fault for that as well, <laughs> probably trying to come up with the most exclamatory headlines. But is it the fault of the journalist? I feel like sometimes they're forced to do things to grab attention, right? So I totally understand. Do you think, you know, these kind of, these headlines, these these titles for the changes that are happening in tech and in privacy and in the industry is, how does that damage innovation, do you think? Do you think it slows innovation because people are so scared of the alternative option that it's almost trying to put it off. Because, I mean, when I speak to people and we talk about, you know, what are you going to do after we we don't use cookies anymore, some of the answers are, oh, that's tomorrow's problem. Right. Yeah, so people are kind of putting it off. So do you think it does slow innovation slightly? Absolutely. And I'll put an asterisk on that in that there are some great partners that we work with that said, Google is not going to dictate my product roadmap. I'm going to figure this out today, right? I'm not putting this off. But I would absolutely say we saw a measurable difference of heading into the end of the year and Chrome saying at the end of the year, we're getting rid of the third party cookie. Google making their announcement in just six months of, you know, I don't want to completely assuage the supply side, but I feel like particularly on the publisher and brand side, just everyone taking a collective breath, stepping back and saying, <laughs> what's the problem for Q3, Q4? I'm going to take these next you know, two quarters and not even think about it, not even worry about it. And I absolutely believed that slowed some of the progress that we saw. We have seen so much progress in the last couple of months, right? The last kind of quarter and leading into the end of the year, because I think that collective breath we all took and stood back and then saw kind of the indecision that was going on in the industry from the you know large you know media giants themselves i think a lot of people said okay wait a minute i am going to figure this out i don't need to wait for them to come to inclusion i'm going to figure out how to future proof my own customer data i'm going to figure out how to you know improving value to the users who read my content or buy my products right so that's great i, I would say yes absolutely it slowed innovation, but I think we're just now hitting this kind of uh, 
pinnacle point where the other swing is coming, where we swung towards take a break, don't do anything. And now it's swinging back, the pendulum swinging back in the other direction. And marketers and advertisers saying, okay, wait a minute, we took a break. We're not going to wait to figure out what happens in the future. We're going to make our decisions now. And that to me is super exciting. Mm. Well, let's hear what you think is underrated in the industry. So what do you think should be getting more attention than it currently is? Yeah, I think so much of what we focus on, you know, through no fault of our own is advertising use cases, you know, like the ad supported web and keeping the web free. And that's so incredibly important. Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, um, opined on it for for quite a bit. (laughs) But I think also what's really exciting to me is when marketers, brands, publishers start to think of data in ways that give value back to the consumer. So like the personalization use cases, the content personalization, or just like being able to, you you know, put articles and recommendations and product recommendations in front of me that I would have had to go research. I would have had to go find your brand. I would have had to go figure it out. Using my data to say like, we think these are the things that you'd be interested in. I love when that happens. When I don't have to go through 20 pages of 3,000 search results Mm. (laughs) to find the thing that I'm looking for. It's like based on, you know, what you've purchased previously or based on the content you've read before, we think these are some things you might be interested. I especially love it with, you know, the pubs and and news mags that I read, especially the local ones, because they're like, hey, we think this really niche article about this thing that's happening in parks (laughs) in your neighborhood, you'd be interested in. I would have never found it would it not have been for that content, uh, you know, personalization module. So I'm so grateful for things like that. And that's what you know, we talk about data in terms of advertising, data in terms of adding additional value back to your consumer base, adding additional value and getting the content and getting the products that your customers interested in, in front of them quicker so they can log off and go spend more time doing the things, you know, being with my family, putting them through now, you know, Broadway, one woman show. <laughs> more, I would rather do that than spend an hour trying to look for the one pair of shoes and 14 pages until I get to the last page and finally find I would rather you just give that to me in an email mm. right it's because that's your complete it's a trade-off it's a value exchange and I think uh you know there's parts of the industry that get such a bad rep especially when it comes to data and privacy it's like oh well you know we're taking away your privacy by taking your data but it's no it's consumers are willing to give this data away for exactly what you just described and it's kind of that reputation needs to change slightly and do you think there could all, there could ever be an internet? You talked about you know like ad supported internet and things like that, where people you can get free ads, but then you can pay for personalization. Do you think that could ever be a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a lot of what subscription is right now. It's a lot of you know uh, no ads. They're you know a, a ad free experience, but we're still going to collect and use your data to give that high value approach. Because now I'm paying. Now I've got money in the game. Now you have to prove the value of your app. You know, nothing's worse than when I download and subscribe to an app and then I use it once or twice and it's kind of hard and clunky and I can't really find anything. The apps that I continue to play 
pay pay for are the ones that have these great algorithms that are just like, hey, this song, you might love it based on, you know, what you've listened to previously, or hey, this article based on what you read and what you like and how much time you spend. We think these are the things that are going to get you to say, Mm -hmm. yes, I almost feel like that exists now and it has to exist if you want a subscription-based web. But I also believe like there's the other side of it where we can use data to prove that before they get beyond the paywall, right? We can use data to give that personalized experience to show what it could be, right? Hey, sign up and we'll do this daily. We'll give you, you know, a digest of all of the things we think you'd be really interested in, personalized just for you. But, you know, in the meantime, here are some things that make this experience better with ads. That way you're still getting value and you're still seeing, you know, my brand or my service as something that adds value to your everyday life and it's ad supported. That way it's not a tax on the poor. It's not a tax on people who can't afford that subscription value. But for those that can, they're seeing that value exchange as well on getting that personalized one-to-one that keeps them coming back, that keeps them subscribed in. I think you have to have it on both sides. I think it can't just be, if you have money, you can pay for it. You get a better (laughs) experience. I think it needs to live on both sides, right? Well, before you and our listeners do log off, we have the final the final challenge in our podcast, which is all about getting my attention. And that is our resell me a pen challenge. So we have given you an object that is an FM radio. Uh, it is, it is indeed. It's an FM radio. It is Normally, actually, something that's outdated, but I mean, they aren't outdated at all, but they've often been replaced by a newer technology. So that that is why we can give, be giving you this challenge to resell it to a modern audience, today's audience, and ideally with a performance marketing strategy for some bonus points. And then I will tell you at the end whether I will be purchasing said product. So, <laughs> Lana, you have 60 seconds to resell me the FM radio. FM radio. I feel like this is perfect because I have such nostalgia on the FM radio. So much of my early life was, you know, listening to an FM radio with my dad, listening to national public radio. And I think it's one of those technologies that is going to be missed, right? With so much happening with climate and with so much happening with weather, it's so important to ensure that you have access to the world, that you can get the information you need, regardless of what's happening outside. So I think the FM radio is one of those things that it's going to be a purchase that might sit in your garage for a year, but that one day of the year when you turn it on and you're able to hear what's going on, you're able to connect with you know fellow humanity outside of whatever bunker you've built is going to be so essential to making sure you feel safe and secure. So the FM radio, it's not a, it's a purchase that you won't regret. Ooh, and in time as well. <laughs> Interesting that, that you kind of took a bit of an apocalyptic tone with that. I, and even though you just I waxed opine about like not talking apocalyptic, but when I think of the FM radio, I think of, uh, you know, here in Texas, we lost power for two weeks and literally the FM radio was the only thing that kept us, you know, informed on what was going outside of our house. That's what I think of when I think of the radio. I think of my dad and listening to him when I was a kid. Mm. But my most recent modern audience, you know, use of an FM radio was being snowed in, no power, no water, cold, very little food because we were not prepared here in Texas <laughs> for it to be a major, major snowstorm. 
um, it's Texas. A little bit of snow is going to shut down the entire state. <laughs> yeah, for those that are listening that can't see, just <laughs> inverted <laughs> comments came up with snowstorm there. No, I really, everyone anywhere else in the world that's like north, um, uh, it's probably just like what snow you had, one inch. Yes, <laughs> that was enough to shut down the entire state and lose power and lose water for a significant amount of time. And I'm telling you, it was that FM radio, like turning that on first thing when we woke up listening to the local broadcasters talk about the roads that were being cleared and what neighborhoods were getting their energy back. Like that kept us mm. sane. Listening to just radio, tuning into NPR and listening to, you know, This American Life, no matter what, like that kept us in tune with the rest of the humanity. So maybe not apocalyptic, but about connection and staying connected. No, I love that. That reminds, I recall, it gives me the same memory of um, when it snowed, in England, which is pretty similar to in Texas, not very much, but everyone makes a massive fuss, definitely. <laughs> and we used to listen in the morning to wait to see which schools were going to um, be, you know, they didn't, didn't go in because the teachers couldn't get in or whatever it was. And oh, I remember loving that because I was at a very uh, a small little primary school. And so as the tiniest bit of snow schools off for the week. <laughs> right. And then, you know, that's not apocalyptic. That's just like, I need to know how I'm going to live my life. I need to know if I'm sending my kids in or if today's a snow day and we're going to go build snowmen. Mm. Right. Like that, that keeping connected. I feel like that's where the pitch is. Okay. Well, it's, it's time for your judgment day. And I think I might, I might actually piss off quite, oh, I don't even know if I can say that on this podcast, but I have now. I'm going to irritate some of our previous guests I think because I'm going to come to the conclusion that you have resold me this but hey. I, think it, and I think you've done it very successfully but I think they're going to get annoyed because they came with very detailed plans of their performance marketing strategy and they were so creative but you just stripped it back took it to basics yeah right and at worked. the end of the day we're human so how am I going to make your life a little bit easier well, Lana, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of Attention Seekers. I hope we have satisfied your attention-seeking desires. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to find out more about the news and trends from global brands, agencies and platforms in the performance marketing industry, register with us on our website at performancemarketingworld.com. Well, thank you all for listening and for giving us your attention, and I look forward for you to join me next time.